This is the Soulpreneur Lifestyle Podcast, your go-to place for creative ideas on how to run your business in a way that lights you up and gives you purpose, all in a way that still allows you to live the lifestyle that you want to live. And I'm your host, Simran Bhatia. And this episode is brought to you by the Flowation.com directory of spiritual-minded healers and professionals. Imagine a resource where you can search for like-minded professionals to help you with everyday life issues, as well as to help guide you along your spiritual journey. We're launching soon, so soulpreneurs of every profession come join the waitlist to learn how you can promote your business, products, or services on the Floation directory at floation.com backslash directory waitlist. That is F-L-O-W-A-T-I-O-N.com backslash directory waitlist. A universe of opportunities awaits you. Today's guest is Asha Frost, and she is a medicine woman, and we talk about her pivot from doing one-on-one coaching and having a private practice to developing a membership in which she teaches people how to use the healing arts that are taught in the indigenous communities. And we also discussed in depth the use of spirit animals and what they mean in our life. I shared a couple of my own really quite amazing experiences of of interacting with different animals and what it meant to me. And we had a wonderful conversation just about opening ourselves up to the universe. And so... Today's guest with us is Asha Frost. She is a Native American spirit healer. Um, Her spirit healing name she shared with me is Healing Rainbow Woman, which I just love. And I think it really encompasses her energy. And she's gonna help us understand a lot about Native American medicine and you know what we can tap into and find our own kind of medicine woman inside of ourselves as well. So thank you so much, Asha, for being here today. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited too. So we were discussing right before we started recording that um, you are from, and again, I'm really hoping I get this right, but you're from the First Nation from Cape Croker, can you, because, you know, I find so many people just really don't understand Native American history at all, Mm -hmm. and or kind of the designation of different tribes and all that. So can you give us a little background on where you're from, and also how that intertwines with your journey of becoming a medicine woman and a healer? Yes, of course. So um, I'm in Canada. And there are many First Nations across Canada. And I think the number one thing I see people assume is that all Indigenous people are the same, um, or we all have the same practices or rituals or ceremonies. 
um, and it actually can be further from the truth. Every First Nation is actually like their own particular country. So every First Nation has their own language, has their own ways of eating and gathering food and ceremony and practice. So it really is quite unique to your tribe. So my tribe is Ojibwe or Anishinaabe, and my mother's side is from Cape Coker, and I am connected to my maternal lineage. My father's side is another First Nation called Serpent River, also in Ontario. Um, but I have chosen to be a member of my mother's uh, band or tribe. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, it is a very diverse population across Canada and in the United States. Um, there's just so many, so many First Nations across North America and very unique and very brilliant. I didn't grow up on the reserve though. I grew up in, um, in closer to Toronto and kind of separated from those practices. My mother taught us some practices, but I was a little bit separate. She wanted to raise us in a different space. And it was when I got sick, when I was 17, I was diagnosed with lupus. That brought me back and cracked me open to remember who I truly was and to come back to that remembering of these medicines and teachings are really everything and they're gonna help me to heal. That is so amazing. And I feel like I can draw some parallels as well. Like as soon as you said, everybody thinks all indigenous people are the same. I was like, oh, I have that experience all the time because they're like, all Indian people must just be the same. And I'm like, do you know how many dialects there are in India, you know? And it's again, what you said, every state is almost like its own country in a way where the food is different, dance, culture, I mean, you'd name it and rituals especially and um and so I, I i find that you know really interesting that you've dealt with that kind of stereotype throughout growing up um so you mentioned though that your mom wanted to raise you outside of the reserve and you're having this experience where you know you know that ethnically you're indigenous but you're also assimilating to a different culture was part of the time when you were growing up that in the home you have a lot of information about being Indigenous and it's part of your culture, but outside you are trying to be Canadian? Yes, yes. Well, I mean, we are, we are as Canadian as it gets, right? Um, but yes, it was, it is, it is challenging, you know, and there, there are lots of issues around what people see as, you know, there's a lot of racism against Indigenous people in Canada. People think that Canada is a really nice country, but it's a very racist country in many ways. And um, many of our people, even on my First Nation, we don't have clean water to drink. And people are shocked by that um, because they think, well, you know, that doesn't sound right. But there's just, there were a lot of things that made me feel shame about being Indigenous when I was younger, just what people would say and how they would treat Indigenous people and just the perceptions I would get. So um, I really kept it hidden, I think, for a long time until that awakening happened. Um, but yeah, that assimilation piece is huge. I mean, I still feel it coming up in um, in the in the online world sometimes like I think where do I fit in you know as an indigenous um, medicine woman and, and an entrepreneur where there's a lot of white faces out there I just kind of do feel that how do I fit into this and how and I have that urge to assimilate uh, versus kind of stand out on my own so I'm sure you can understand that too it's just one of those it's one of those things that kind of just happens I think conditioned in, in us from children.
Yeah, you're you're speaking my language. I totally get what you're saying. Um, can we go back to when you're 17 though, and mm -hmm. suddenly you're diagnosed with lupus, right? And you mentioned having shame around what was like your your birth given identity. Really, you're born into this family of origin, and then now you come across the fact that that very origin has the gifts that can heal you. What was that? transformation like? What was your headspace like at that time? I mean, take us back a little bit and, and describe your experience. It's quite amazing when I really go back to think about it. You know, in the moment, we don't think about the pieces are coming together. But at that moment, when I was diagnosed, I, I was always a really sensitive person. So the doctors tried to put me on medication. They tried to put me on prednisone and these antimalarial drugs, and I got really sick on them. So my system couldn't handle doing the medical route, and I needed a new way. So a friend's mother said, why don't you go try to see a naturopath? And that just like blew everything open, because as soon as I sat down and started to speak about more than just my physical body, but the fact that I'm made up of my emotional body, my spiritual body, something in my cellular memory just sort of awoke and said, oh my goodness, I know this way. This speaks to my blood. This speaks to my lineage. And it's not that I didn't have these teachings at home or my mom didn't speak about the spirit world. We would speak about it all the time, about animal beings and our dreams. But to me, that was just, I thought everybody did that. So I'd see spirits at night or I'd have really incredible dreams. And I just kind of thought that was an everyday experience. So, but when I saw the naturopath, I knew the earth needs to heal me. I need to go back to plants. I need to go back to understanding my emotions. And then ultimately I need to really heal my spirit because there was a lot, there was a lot there. And a lot of it was intergenerational trauma as to why I was split off from the teachings in the first place, because my grandparents were in residential school. So they were taken away from their culture and their language and all of their teachings. And they went to the church and then of course the doctors. So my way was just kind of split there. And now I was remembering it all. So it was really, it was a really beautiful time, I think, but also a bit confusing because I just kind of thought, well, this isn't the way that society is telling me to go but it's the way my heart and my spirit are telling me to go and I kind of didn't look back after that I I then just like was like I need to I need to do this I need to help more people I need to learn how to do this so I ended up going to school as a homeopath and um yeah the rest is history that's so interesting though and what I love about the homeopath um, kind of train of thinking is that they are trying to get to the root cause. And there is that aspect of what's going on emotionally. I remember my own first experience, I think, with the homeopath was my mom had taken me when we were on a visit to India because my skin had literally started discoloring itself. Like I was getting patches all over the place. And if I look back in time, I can also identify that was a period of time in my life where I was like, why am I not white? It would be so much easier if I'm white. And so it was like, I'm getting white patches now, you know, and just having that, what you're saying, intergenerational kind of baggage that is about race and trauma and, you know, assimilation and just all the things that you may not have experienced yourself, but somehow it's coming with you. 
in your DNA. Can you speak to that a little bit more that some things people are feeling healers and highly sensitive people, especially it might not actually have originated with you, but you might be carrying it. Can you speak to that? Yes. Well, goodness, I've seen this so many times. I think in probably everybody that I've ever treated or held space for that we do carry this, um, our cell, our cells and our blood and our water has memory. So I believe that it energetically gets transferred, not just genetically through our coding, but I think energetically it gets transferred the wounds perhaps of our ancestors that weren't healed, perhaps especially as healers, I think our soul contracts are, we might be the chosen one to transmute that and to start being the change, which is kind of a bit of a burden sometimes, but also a beautiful thing because it's like, maybe you are the chosen one. That's what something I've learned about my own journey is like, okay, I need to be the one to transmute this so I'm not passing this on to my children. Um, because I think we do carry those those, yeah, just that energetic frequency and vibration through our lineage. And if we choose to heal that, we are doing our, our seven generations to come such a blessing. You know, we're doing so much work for them. So I think some of us are chosen to do that. Um, and I believe that if we're conscious, then we can create miraculous results in that way for all of the people that are coming after us. Um, but yeah, I see it. I think everybody kind of carries those those little memories and some of us just, it's a little bit deeper based on the, the impact of trauma on our ancestors or what we've gone through. So especially women of color or people of color, I think we just carry layers and layers of that, of that stuff that needs to be looked at. That's really interesting that you brought up that while it can feel like a burden, it's also a gift that you can give to not only yourself, but just generations ahead of you. And I'm assuming you might feel this way as well, but I feel actually such a sense of responsibility around the fact that I am awakened in this lifetime and to waste that and to not do the work would be such a tragedy, not only for me, but also like releasing my children, their children onwards from the shackles of whatever is going on. And so I don't, do you ever feel that, that like, it just, it makes sense really. It's hard, but it makes sense to it do it hard. now. Yeah. It, it kind of makes me a little bit emotional because I think I, and you know, what's so interesting. I mean, just speaking to you, I can feel that, right. That connection. We have this resonance of that knowing. And I think that is so powerful. That makes me like, you get it. You feel this, you know, it in your bones. Right. And I think that oh, yeah. we have conversations about this because sometimes it can feel lonely that we do have this responsibility on our shoulders. And typically, you know, I feel like I'm a very like light, bright, joyful person. Um, yet I know my soul is carrying some heaviness. So sometimes I, I struggle with that. Like my soul has this heavy stuff, but my heart's really joyful and happy. So, you know, holding both of that, both of those things at the same time, sometimes can be a challenge. It's really, yeah, so that I, I think it's a challenge as well, but I also, what I find is that people sometimes, especially in this spirituality kind of space, they, the, for lack of better terminology, the newbies, right, who are like really just kind of awakening to all this stuff, they're very deluded with the idea that you need to stay bright and colorful and all of that light energy all the time. Mm -hmm. And yet I have found 
and you can speak to this as well, that the deepest transformation comes when you allow yourself into the darkness and you actually acknowledge that there is that like yin and yang at the same time as the light. And that if you don't explore it, you're actually just doing yourself a total disservice. Yeah. That shadow work is so, so vital and so important. Um, and I mean, we're all at different parts of that journey, but it's something that spiritual bypass, right? That we see happening. I think the most challenging part for me in that is when it's the spiritual bypass of um, actual issues that have impacted people of color, when they're spiritual bypassing things around race and around actual lived traumatic experiences that we've experienced. That's something that I've gone through in the last two years of really starting to voice some of those issues and people in the spiritual community, I don't want to say everybody, but they want to light and love it, right? Just like, let it go. Yeah. It's in the past. You don't have to. Meanwhile, I'm reading some comments on social media and my body is shaking because the trauma is coming to the surface or I can't breathe because somebody says something that just feels like they don't really see me or I'm not as important as, as they think, you know, they are any of those issues. Like I try to tell people it's a real lived experience and I'm feeling it in my body. So how can we not have compassion for that? Um, so it's, you know, it's an interesting place to be, to bring some of the shadow issues up and, and have them heard and have space held for them. So when you talk about holding space for these shadow issues, do you have a process? Is there a ritual that you have as a kind of go-to or how do you address this? And two parts is how do you address this for yourself? But then how do you also address it for your clients? Because you're doing your own inner work in one situation, but you're actually do their work in the other. So how, how does that all work? I've always committed to having space holders in my life as a healer. I think it's so my number one mission here is to help myself heal, like to really go in and like look at the pieces in myself. And then the wisdom that comes from that gets shared with others. But I know that I have a lifetime of, of healing to do. So I'm here to do that journey. So I have a therapist that is amazing space holder that I've been working with really intensely. I have healers. I go to see myself um, and I really allow myself to be vulnerable. I think that's the biggest piece is I know that if I want to heal myself, that I need to let everything come up that needs to be there. So um, really, really working on being really honest about myself and what I've been denying and, you know, just having those people. But I think that's really vital for any healer to make sure that you're doing the work too, because um, things can get dangerous if we're not checking ourselves or somebody's not reflecting back and we're not doing you know, that really deep shadow work. For other people, um, I mean, I hold space in, I, I don't do this anymore because I just transitioned my practice, but I would for the last 15 years. They'd be on a healing table and I'd have my hands, you know, I'd, I'd heal with my hands. But really for me, it's just about allowing. So just asking the right questions and letting that person like have the space, no matter how long it took. So if it was just that they wanted to cry, I wouldn't try to interrupt that process. I find that we're so quick to like get a Kleenex box and I find as soon as somebody hands me Kleenex, they stop their tears. So just allowing that space to just like flow, right? Instead of saying like, oh, you should be ashamed of this. And dealing with that shame piece, I think is huge. It's something we don't talk a lot about in our society is I feel shame around this and just really holding compassion for those moments. I think, I think that's kind of the depths of everything from my experience in holding space for people. 
So let's talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey because you just mentioned you stopped seeing private clients a couple months ago. And now can you speak to what you're doing now and what brought about that transition for you? And when you're doing the inner work in that transition, because there has to be a lot of gunk coming up at that time, like what came up for you as well at that time? It was huge. I knew that I needed to transition from my private practice, even though I loved it. Like I really loved it, but I burnt myself out over and over again. I just had a really full schedule and I was helping a lot of people and there, there was just, it just never ended, right? The need for people to have that space held. And even though I loved it, when I had my second child, I realized I could only hold so much space for my family. I couldn't hold that space for all of these other people as well. So he used, his little spirit would tell me like, things got to change, mama. As soon as I'm here, it's got to change. So I started to transition some of my work online. And I started this Facebook group that grew to like 3,000 people. I still don't know how that happened. <laughs> Just energetics, I guess. Um, and I thought if I can hold space in this way, what if I could translate that into a paid offering? And we met in Origin and I saw um, Kate Northrup do this in Origin. I thought, I think I can do this. So it just was inspired that I would start my own membership and try to, tr you know, try to convert those people that I was holding space for in my group to a membership. So that's what I did. And I love it. But the first three months were really challenging. You're right. It brought up all of my stuff. And because it was like a new career, it was like a whole new, like something for 15 years that was comfortable and easy and effortless. Just that just got let, you know, let go of. And this was like a brand new thing. And I, all of my insecurities came up. So it was like, it was really deep growing pains. And that's, I'm just kind of feeling, I'm sure there's tons more, but I'm just starting to feel like rooted in this is working and I love it. And there's more space and this feels good. But um, starting something new for me, I realized I'm not good at fumbling through and I'm not good at feeling like this is okay if you're not perfect at something right away. So for the audience of people who is actually considering the same transition themselves, like, you know, they're reaching out, they're seeing that the one-on-one -on -one model is no longer working for them. Um, can we kind of dig in a little bit, get into the nitty gritty of what was it that did come up for you that first three months? When you say all your insecurities, what does that really look like? So it would be, well, specifically for our membership, I, I'd run online courses before for the past three years. So it would be like people would buy it, they'd take the course, they'd finish it or not. And you'd never really know, right? You'd hold space and the people that loved it would be involved. But with a membership, it was like people are leaving. And I don't have a team because I don't have, I don't have that access yet. So I had to take care of all of the cancellations, the reasons why. So all of those things that, you know, and I see people who, are, who have teams that don't have to deal with that stuff. And I can realize, I realize why that they have that because <laughs> it can be really hard on your heart when you're putting everything into something. And then somebody says, eh, it wasn't for me. And my logical mind knows that's fine. But in those vulnerable parts, it was taking that courageous leap. And then that first month, people leaving and saying whatever they wanted to say. So that was really challenging, the cancellations. And then um, just kind of 
just really refining again who I want in my sacred space. I think initially I'm like, everybody come in. And then I just had to really rework that and be very intentional about, I want people who are showing up to do the work. I want people who are meeting my energy. I want gracious and grateful people. So I made a vision board of like my sacred container of who I wanted to invite in because then there's less, there's just less headaches, right? There's more of an alignment and a match. And I knew this in my private practice. I knew how to do that effortlessly, but I didn't translate it to my membership. I didn't think to. So that was probably the biggest struggle of really refining and remembering to do that. Those are both such great points because I can imagine, and I've experienced this myself, when you're doing the logistical work of cancellations and customer service, it can be heartbreaking at times to hear that this thing that you feel you channeled the energy of something and really put it out there from your heart space is not clicking for someone. Um, and then also such a great, great reminder that a lot of people have gotten to that space where they know that if they're face to face with someone, that they need to be cautious of their energy and protect themselves and only invite someone at their vibration. But a lot of people I've noticed who move into the online space, they do make this mistake of forgetting that just because you're not seeing this person in person doesn't mean that your energy is not attached to them and not tied up by their presence in your program, right? It's still an energetic exchange going on. And so many people I think do fall into that space of like, let's just let everybody in because it's online. It doesn't matter. It's no big deal. Like, you know, but really coming from a place of abundance is probably more important in realizing that, no, you don't need everybody. And also from like, you know, a financial aspect that it might not actually impact your profit and, you know, the financial viability of your program. If anything, it'll probably make it better because it'll enrich the program so much. It's not necessarily about the number of people you bring in. It is the quality and what you're providing them and how long they stay with you, especially in a membership, right? Retention is everything. It really is. And I think that- So that is incredible that you, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was also thinking like, the, the third thing I think that was hard was like, I really did, I had that comparison. I had these expectations of myself to have it as big as the people that I was, you know, modeling after and um, forgetting that, that I was comparing my beginning to their middle. So, you know, you hear that and I really, I really did that. I was comparing my beginning to their middle. I wasn't allowing myself to be a beginner. Um, and now I can see, okay, like it, it has to grow at its pace that it's growing at because that is really aligned with my soul. And if it grew any faster, it might not be the best thing for me for my highest good. So I've had to surrender so much of just creator. I know you know what's best for this and how it's going to grow and the pace it's going to grow at. So to have a thousand members right away is not, you know, it's, it's not realistic, <laughs> but in my mind, I thought it was. That's such a great point. Too. I love that saying that don't compare your beginning to somebody else's middle. Um, so can you help us walk through just kind of the logistics now of like, so you have an in-person private practice and then you're kind of throwing in some online courses in that. And now from what I'm understanding, like you've maybe still have the online courses, but the main business now is the membership and it's not the same people one-on-one. Um, -on -one. 
what were the logistical steps from making those changes? Like, what did you have to figure out about doing business differently? Oh, it was huge, I think. Um, I, so right now I am not, I am offering mentorship. So I do offer one-on-one mentorship online as well still, because I need to, um, you know, the, for me, it was always about, this is how much income I'm making for my private practice. I want this to be equal or more because I'm very <laughs> practical about those things. And I just have goals. Like, well, obviously we have to pay for our mortgage and my children. So I needed to make sure that it was equal. So I panicked in December and I thought, I don't know if this is going to work. So December was really hard because we were building the back end. My husband's my graphic designer and he builds, he does the programming. We're building, we're up late every night in December. I don't even think we celebrated anything in December because we were up like every night building, building. And I was like, I freaked out. I'm like, this isn't going to work. I'm scared. Nobody's going to sign up. So therefore I have to put out all these mentorship offerings. So I ended up doing that. I filled those up. And then when I started my membership, I had way too much on my plate. So I'd say that that logistical, that was a bit of a logistical nightmare because all of a sudden I didn't have any space. I had to create my content for my membership and then support all these people through mentorship. So if anything, I would say to people like when you're going through a transition, really try to give yourself some space because you don't really know what's coming on the other end of how much work something new is going to be. Um, and then my private practice, I kind of just would gently phase things out and say like, this is the last month that you can book an appointment. Now, not everybody sees that. So I'm still working through getting requests daily of, can I see you, new phone calls, people trying to book on my website, even though they can't. So that's a little bit challenging right now because that transition phase is still there and people don't know that I'm not working in, in person anymore. But I had my practice in my home and this was the best thing. I had my practice in my home and then we renoed our basement and we took all the toys from upstairs and put them in the basement. And it was so good for me because I have a tendency to go back to things and say, well, I can see one person, but now I can't. <laughs> now I can't because there's toys in my face. So it was really like, it was really good for me to make an actual barrier for myself and a boundary where I could not go back to something that even though, you know, I was wanting to leave it, I still sort of had a little foot in it. So that was really, that was a good, good piece of really logistical, like this is ending now. That's great advice if someone were to take it as that, that like change the physical space, create an actual barrier yeah. to being able to just go back into your old habits yeah. and um, force yourself to move forward. If you're committing to this and energetically put your entire self into the process of moving forward. And I like that idea of just like, it's going to be more work no matter which way you slice it. So try not to overbook yourself and try to create that space. Um, you mentioned something though in this process. So I'm going to take a little detour. Your husband was your graphic designer and helping build the back end of your website. So now so often you come across um, spiritual minded entrepreneurs who are kind of now finding a situation where it'd be really convenient for them to rely on their partner and or work with their partner. So what is your advice to anybody about the fact that you're taking something that's like this dream, it's from your heart space, you've nurtured it, and now you are trusting your most probably intimate person with also helping try to create your dream in, in the format of your vision, right? 
And that might be different than the way that you operate at home as spouses or partners. So what's your advice to people to have a good experience <laughs> in that transition if they yeah. are bringing someone on in the back end? Yeah, he's done my graphic work since the beginning. So, and he, you know, it's so interesting because he's never come to any of my healing circles. He's never had a healing from me, but he knows he, I think deep, deep down, he's like a very um, visionary being. So he just knows my essence so beautifully. So when he creates something, I'm like, that's it. That's amazing. So we do work well together that way. Um, and, you know, I think, I think it's just really, he has his own thing. So he has his own dreams, his own desires. So my, my thing, my creation was totally him just supporting me. I think if I brought him in as like, this is going to be part of your work too, I don't know if that would have worked. So I'm so grateful that he has his own dream and vision that is, that is separate from mine. And so he's fully just a support system for, for building something. Um, because I think if that got intertwined it might get a bit sticky because then there'll be expectations and different things and I like keeping it separate so I would say there's some boundaries around that that I like having that it's just like he's got his own dreams he's working on his own stuff he's self-employed and he does his own thing and then it's kind of like he helped me build this and I'm so grateful um but yeah like it seems to work for us and I don't know if that's true for everyone but it seems to really it seems to really flow for us and really work out really well so I'm so thankful for that I like that distinction though. It's him supporting you in your dream while cultivating his own versus you trying to drag his identity into yours and kind of being the back end person. And then all that other stuff comes up <laughs> that you need to deal with. And so that's probably a good tip for people who want to be able to work in tandem and have a joyful experience with each other. Yeah. Um, is to find a space where both of you get to still maintain your own space and your identity. I do see that, right? And I know, I mean, that could be a potential, like, you know, that all of a sudden the membership takes off and then he, I just don't think he'll, he'd ever want to let go of his own passion. Um, and I don't know if I'd want somebody like to hire him just to be working and supporting me. It just, I think our, our dynamics just a little bit different than that. So everything's really equal in our household. And I think we just need to rise separately and together, you know, just in our own dreams. So that's what works for us. But I do see that happening in all of these online spaces, you know, with these women and their husbands are their back end support. And that's just not a dream of mine for some reason. I, I'm there with you. <laughs> I think we can, um, we, we really do support each other and help slightly in the back end, but I can't envision like him giving up everything that he's doing in the world to just come be my back end because I don't think it would work to be totally honest for us. Um, so now let's just kind of talk about, so you have the sacred membership and moon cycle membership. It's all one. Am I right? Can you yeah. just, you know, talk a little bit about this? Yeah. So the membership has, um, has aspects of it that are indigenous teachings. We have a moon, like a full moon or a new moon ceremony every month. There is mentorship for me. A lot of my community are healers or they're healing their, themselves. We're all kind of inner healers and they're awakening their medicine women selves. So a lot of them are spiritual entrepreneurs wanting to really get more visible and it's based in the medicine wheel so our indigenous medicine wheel has four cycles just like 
you know, our moon time and the seasons. So every season we shift into a new part of the medicine wheel and we're working with a new animal spirit. So right now in the East, it's the spring and it's the eagle. So in the membership, I like to theme it. So we're really about visibility, spreading our wings, moving through our self-doubt, um, and just like really building our confidence in sharing our gifts with the world. So that is the East right now. And I try to bring in um, mentors every month that really relate to those types of things. So right now it's all about visibility. Can you explain the other three parts of the medicine wheel? Yeah, so in the summer, we'll be moving into deer medicine, and that is about really nourishing your dreams. So if you think about, you know, eagles like planting seeds and really like, okay, we're ready. And then deer is like, let's nourish and nurture our dreams. So deer medicine is about self-compassion and really loving up what we're creating and loving up ourselves. So that is the summer. And then we move into the fall, which is letting go and letting things die that need to really die. And that's buffalo medicine. So buffalo reminds us that we're always supported and that we have abundance available to us always. So it is this place of you can let this go and something else is going to take its space eventually. And then bear is the north. And bear medicine is about restoration and just um, taking that time for the great mystery to kind of come in and say, okay, things are going to start to flow again, but you need to really rest and really take that, take that breath. And bear has always been my most challenging because I've never wanted to really stop, but I realized the power in that cycle in particular and how much really transforms during that time. That's beautiful. Um, so as we begin to wrap up, where and what's your kind of message for the spiritual minded entrepreneurs around those cycles? Like what can they take away from learning about the medicine wheel and applying it to actually the way that they work? I believe that every cycle is equally as important. And I, because I think that, you know, I've done circles before to sort of like, what cycle are you in? And everybody's like, I want to be the eagle, but I'm not. Like, it was just so funny because everybody wanted to be the eagle. And I thought that really represents what our, what our egos and minds do. We all want to be in that visibility, spread your light, take your leaps of faith. Like, for some reason, that's what our society is like pulling us towards always. So I just want to remind everybody that equal time in each of the cycles is so vital because they're all, they all bring so much magic and medicine. And I think that if we're in bear phase and our friends around us are an eagle, we can start to feel not good enough. When in reality, we should just be like, you know what, there's magic going on in the background. <laughs> and I don't know what's happening, but it's great. So I think that the medicine wheel teaches us to honor that cycle and to just, instead of comparing ourselves to other people that you're, you're exactly where you need to be. Um, and I think, I mean, it's not great to stay in bear for like 10 years, but you know, you know, it's like, it's just like you're exactly where you need to be. And these cycles happen over and over again in our lives. And it's really important to complete each one. That's so well said that, you know, honoring where you're at and letting yourself energetically complete that cycle instead of forcing yourself into the next one. Yeah. Um, so I really loved everything that you're teaching about here. 
as we just kind of get to our last few questions, my favorite one to ask, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? <laughs> oh, I love that question. Um, mint chocolate chip. That's a good one. Um, so now while people are grabbing their mint chocolate chip, where can they find you so they can learn more in depth about what you're teaching? So I am on Instagram under asha.frost and my, um, my online, you know, my free group is very active. I'm in there quite a bit and that's called sacred medicine circle. That's on Facebook. And then my membership is called Sacred Membership. So um, yeah, I'd love to see some of them on there. And I love to follow back when people follow me on Instagram. That is so wonderful. We're going to get the links from you and put those in the show notes. So anyone who is interested can just click on through and take a look at what Asha is doing and what she's teaching. And there's so much depth of wisdom here to tap into. So Thank you so much, Asha, for sharing with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been such a gift. I want to say a big thank you for listening in. Without your support, there wouldn't be a podcast. If you've gained insight or inspiration from this podcast, please subscribe for regular updates and please share this podcast with someone you know who will benefit. Do you have a story to share about your own soulpreneur lifestyle that you set up? Have a life or business problem you'd love a system for or want to be an anonymous caller for one of our live segments? Then go to your Anchor app or the Anchor website, find this show and click on message and record your story or question. You can also find the show notes on our website at flowation.com backslash T-S-L-P. That's F-L-O-W-A-T-I-O-N dot com backslash T-S-L-P. And subscribe to the T-S-L-P Insider to get a look behind the scenes of what it takes to bring this podcast to life. And get some exclusive offers that are only available to our email subscribers. Also, don't forget to follow at Flowation on Instagram to get updates about this podcast. Mm-hmm.